Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That is Psalm 34, verse 18. I am your host, Sandra Flack. Welcome to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. Uh, Today, I am thrilled to have a special guest with us. Uh, But first, some updates and announcements. Um, My now seven-month-old grandson, Killian, Um, as of this recording, is still in the hospital. Uh, Over the weekend, uh, they placed an NG tube uh, in, that's the tube that goes like in his nose, down his throat, and um, into his belly so he can have uh, nutrition going directly into him. There is concern that he still isn't gaining weight. Uh, He's been in the hospital for, gosh, I think it's like three months now. Um, He's had a couple of open heart surgery procedures and... um you know, it's it's a. I've been updating, and if anybody follows this podcast or my social media, then you you kind of know this story. Um, anyway, they they want him to gain weight before he can go home from the hospital. Unfortunately, the tube does make him gag, and then he throws up, and you know that's like kind of counterproductive when wanting him to gain weight. Um, <clears throat> but like I said, it's the only way to get to discharge, uh, and everybody involved really has concluded that this little guy just needs to go home where he can really um, just rest and heal and be in a less stressful environment. Um, He's old enough now, you know, to recognize when someone in a mask comes toward him, it could involve pain. Um, You know, like I said, he's had procedures and surgeries and all kinds of things. So um, we just really want him to go home and, you know, really kind of have a more normal seven-month-old baby existence. So Thank you for your prayers, and and I would just ask that you would continue to pray for his full recovery. And again, you can stay tuned to my social media. We also have a a Facebook page called Killian John Cardiac Warrior that you can follow um, if you want real-time updates, pictures, prayer requests, all that kind of thing. Uh, Killian is the firstborn son of uh, my adopted daughter, Missy. She's the very first one who came into our family through adoption. Um, She actually came way back in 1999 through a kinship situation. Uh, We later on adopted her, and I share that whole story along with how our other um, four adopted kiddos joined our family. Um, It's all in my book, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father. Um, I detail all of that, kind of like why we adopted, how everybody came home, what life was like after, um, you know, all of the things. So you can grab Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father, wherever you like to pick up your books. Um, And if you pick it up on Amazon, I would appreciate it if you go in and leave a review after you're done reading it. Those are always helpful. Um, So I hope you check that out. Um, And before we dive into today's uh, topic with our guest, we do have some special announcements for you. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. And coming up this week, which is only going to help you if you actually listen to this podcast on Mondays when it first drops, um, we do have this week, um, the week of the 16th of January, uh, 2022, uh, 2023, we do have two 
online workshops um, that I am offering this week. Um, the first one is a free 45-minute lunch and learn. It's an introduction to fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. That is on Wednesday, January 18th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And then the other one is a three-hour deep dive into FASD. Um, and uh, there I do utilize uh, the facets um, brain-based approach. Uh, that is Saturday, January 21st at 10 a.m. Eastern time. There is a small registration fee for the three-hour deep dive, um, but you have to register for either one of those workshops that you're interested in. That way you get the Zoom link when you register uh, and then you can join that way. So um, to get the Zoom link to register, you would go to our website, justicefororphansny.org and click on events. We've also included a link to the website in the show notes for this podcast episode so you can find it easily there as well. Also for resources for parents, also be sure to check out our bonus episodes with Dr. Jared Brown. Um, Dr. Brown specializes in trauma, FASD, autism, like all the brain things. And this series of episodes with him, you know, focuses on topics that are vital, of vital importance for all foster and adoptive and kinship caregivers. But also I'm finding we're hearing from professionals, social workers and special ed teachers. Folks have been tuning in and learning so much through these episodes. So it's really for everyone, anyone working with kids, um, especially kids that have been adopted and are in the foster care system, but even, you know, not even just kids prenatally exposed. Um, but Dr. Brown kind of takes us into, you know, takes us deeper into the weeds with topics like prenatal trauma, complex trauma. Yes, we talk about FASD, um, but like screen time and executive function or dysfunction in the case of many of our kids, memory and you know, things like uh, alexithymia and things that have to do with, um, you know, emotional regulation and, and all of these things. So really majorly important stuff. Um, so we're offering those, um, those specific topics with Dr. Brown. We're calling those bonus episodes because regular episodes of the adoption and foster care journey, like the one you're listening to right now, drop on Mondays. You always can find a brand new episode every Monday. The special series with Dr. Brown, we drop on Fridays. Not every single Friday, um, but but basically if it's there's a new episode, it'll come on Fridays. We're doing about 22 episodes in all. Um, that's the plan right now. We tend to add some here and there, but um, we'll continuously when we you know come across a topic that we want to talk about with Dr. Brown, that's we'll call it a bonus episode and put it out there on Friday. So some weeks you can get two episodes from us, um, but we always have great content and I hope that you'll check it out. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any of our episodes and so that other adoptive and foster parents can easily find the episode, our podcast and be encouraged and equipped through our episodes too. Um, so make sure that you do that, I hope. And now, now to our guest today, I'm so thrilled to have a guest with us. Laura Hernandez is a Dallas-based mom of 10. Um, so she's got me beat by two. Three of her children um, have uh, an FASD and they were adopted through the foster care system. She's going to tell us that whole story. And she also helps moms bring peace to their homes through her business, Mama Systems. She does coaching and training and all kinds of amazing stuff to get us organized. She's also going to tell us about that. So please welcome Laura Hernandez. Hey, Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Yeah, well, I'm excited to have you. Um, I, I, I know we connected on social media and just love all of the things that you're doing. So I'm excited to introduce our listeners to, to you. Um, I know that you and your husband, Tony, have 10 children. Um, I know you beat me by two because my husband and I have eight. Um, <laughs> three of yours are through adoption. So would you share the story of why you became a foster parent, adoptive parents? Tell us about that. Yeah, so I 
first wanted to adopt, probably when I was in fifth grade, um, I remember reading a story in the newspaper about the Congo and um, just the massacres that were going on there. And my heart was, it was really, the Lord used that to open my eyes to just the bigger world. And um, I wanted to do something about it. I wanted to, I remember thinking, I want to bring all the babies in and want to take care of all of them. Um, <laughs> it was kind of a problem. Um, so, I, that was when it was first laid on my heart. And I I think from then on out, I knew that that was going to be a part of my journey. I just didn't know with who. Married my husband. That was kind of a deal breaker for us. Either you're on board or you're not, but I'm doing this without, like, I'm either doing this with someone else or I'm doing this with you. So um, we lived in, in the Dallas area and we had our three, our first three biological children. And he said, you know what? We can't have any more because we need to adopt. And if we're going to, like, if we don't adopt and we accidentally have another one, then like we, we won't be able to adopt because I can't handle more than four, which I think is rather entertaining at this moment. Um, So we had a conversation. We're like, okay, well, we need to figure out what we're doing. We went to an adoption class at our church and some of our good friends got up and talked about foster care. And we both looked at each other and said, oh crap. We knew exactly that that's what we we're supposed to be doing. I had gone in with wanting to adopt from Africa. He wanted to adopt from China. And then foster care came up and it was, you know, not what we thought we were going to be signing up for, but we did. We had our first placement, um, Andrew, and he came at three days old to our house. And from there, he stayed with us until eight months. And then when he went back to bio mom, we then had our fourth biological and she subsequently had two more. We moved up to Seattle and had our fifth biological. So we had five. Bio mom had three living with her and they were taken away again. And so we moved back to Texas to be able to adopt them. And they came and lived with us on Andrew's fourth birthday. So they are biological siblings. They are now ours. But we, in that moment, was just kind of chaotic because in a six month period, we did a cross country move. We were renting a house, we were renovating a house. Um, we just added four new little people to our family who had fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, which, you know, it's a host of other things. <laughs> and so, but we didn't know that at the moment. And so, um, it, it was just a whole lot. Wow. So you, you had Andrew, he went back at eight months. You said he was reunified with mom, birth mom, and then you moved to Seattle. So how did you, and then mom had, had uh two more she did she had two more Matthew and Hannah and then how like how did how did they how did you finally get them because you're in another state like how did that transpire yeah that was a it was a journey as I'm sure you can imagine yes (laughs) we had stayed in touch with bio mom and I had been calling the caseworker from day one that they were in in the system because I knew that they were taken away and I tracked down the caseworker and was stalking her pretty much and just calling and saying, like, hey, can I just wonder how the kids are doing? If there's anything I can do, can we send diapers? Can we help? Like, what what can we do? And the caseworker never called me back. She, <laughs> I would call the office and leave messages with different people in the office to like contact her to tell her to call us back. We nothing. And so um, it was Palm Sunday. I mean, like two weeks after we had just had our fifth biological, and the sermon that the pastor was. Um, was giving was about Jesus weeping over the city. And I thought at the time, I was like, this is the most random sermon. And he was talking about Jesus weeping and who Jesus weeps for. And one of them was the orphan. And of course, these three little people pop in my mind, but it's such a battle and such a struggle of like, how much do I advocate for them and fight for them? And then also trust you, you know, and the advocating and fighting and being constant in that is like so heartbreaking. And you know, all of these things, um, And so it just feels like a very open-handed, like, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should keep trying or if I should give up and just trust that you've, you've got this and you're going to take care of them forever. And that's it. Um, So I kind of pulled a Gideon and I said, okay, Lord, I'm gonna call one more time tomorrow. And if she doesn't call me back, we're, we're just going to be done. I'll be done. I'll trust that you're going to do what you're going to do. And so I called the next day and left a message and she actually called me back. It was shocking, huh? Um, And so just as much as there were roadblocks every single step of the way of just, you can't, you can't uh, foster that many kids in Seattle. You can't 
I mean, just everything. Like you can't have them many kids under the age of five, like all the things, everything was such a battle. Um, but just as many as there were like roadblocks, the Lord was so faithful and just how he showed up and showed us exactly what we were supposed to be doing at the time. And so um, we knew that it kind of came down to like, okay, we can keep trying to figure this out here and get them to move up here, which the ICPC lady was like, Meh, not going to happen. But we knew that if we gave up, that we would really regret that. And we knew that if we moved back and like just lost, like left everything and moved back to Dallas, um, that we wouldn't regret that. And so that's what we chose to do. And so we moved back to Dallas and started the foster care process again because we had already started it several times in Seattle. And Wow. Yeah, so so you literally more. uprooted your family from Seattle and moved back to the Dallas area just really specifically because God was leading you to bring these three kiddos into your family. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. So how old were they when they did come? Because that worked out, obviously. You did. You were able to bring them into your family. Yes. Yeah, so they were placed with us on Andrew's fourth birthday, wow. which felt very divine and yeah. so a beautiful bow on the whole thing. He was four. And how old were the other two? So four, two, and 18 months. Wow. So that's like a lot of little, little kids yeah, <laughs> with, we had with trauma five, all at the same time. Yeah. We had five, five and under all in diapers. Wow. Or five, four and under all in diapers. Five kids, four and under all in diapers. Wow. What an undertaking. So what was that adjustment like? I mean, it, it had to be to have five kids under four all in diapers. You know, obviously the three came in with, with, trauma, maybe some attachment. I know you, you said they're prenatally exposed to alcohol. So what was that like? Um, it felt like I was just living in survival mode. I remember one day calling another mom that I knew she had adopted three from foster care. And I remember being like, do you think that I'm ever going to get used to this? Like, is this ever going to feel normal? Because it felt so weird just having these people come into my home. And even though I knew them and I'd prayed for them and I like, we like lived our last six months for them. And it still felt like, I don't know these people at all. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what they're capable of. I don't know. Like I just, I'd never felt so lost about parenting before. And so um, that was different for me because I really felt like I had things under control with our bio kids. And this just felt like a whole, whole new ball game. Mm, wow. So survival mode makes sense. That would That would make sense to me. Um, and then I know, you know, there's a disproportionate number of children in child welfare, prenatally exposed to alcohol and other drugs. Um, you said all three of the kids were prenatally exposed. Did they come with a diagnosis? Did you, how did you learn about FASD? Did they get diagnosis? Tell us that part of the journey. Yeah. So a therapist told me one time she was watching, helping Matthew walk. She said, the only time I've ever seen that gate is on a kid who has fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And I was like, what? <laughs> I guess I kind of knew what that was, but I didn't, I didn't have a clue. I wasn't educated in the three times we went through foster care training. No one educated us on that. They might've had like a 10 minute something, but there was no like deep education. Like I believe that there should be because so many kids are exposed and have lifelong issues because of it. So she said that and I was like, mom said she didn't drink, you know, I'm really naive. And then I went and like watched a YouTube video and I heard this mom talking about her son and how she didn't know what was going on with him. And she like listed off all these things and everything that she listed off. I was like, oh my gosh, those are my children. Like I, I know those things very well. Um, and so I started getting more into it and look through case records and um, just like all the things that we had gotten from court from them previously and could kind of nail down the, the exposure piece of it. And so we actually had to travel to California, um, down to San Diego to see Dr. Kenneth Jones to get diagnoses for them there because there's no one. I went to go get a diagnosis here in Dallas and um, the neurologist laughed at me along with his team of people and said, you can't diagnose that. All right. Awesome. So it, there should have been a lot of a lot of pushing, a lot of advocating for this because I think that there's so much freedom in knowing what's going on and like really understanding that. 
instead of having all these little pieces that don't make any sense, when you're able to kind of put that puzzle together and have that diagnosis, I think it's life changing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and there and there are so many parents that don't get the diagnosis. I was just, you know, part of a, a speaking to a, another mom recently, and um, you know, a professional at the school tried to tell her that well, that can only get diagnosed um, at birth, and I was like. Yeah, yeah, you rolled your eyes. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, even within the medical community, you're talking about a neurologist who should know, should be in the know, and not. So I know my, 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 um, you know, I always keep in mind, I, I got to interview about a year or so ago, Dr. Chrissy Petrenko, and she's a, a specialist in um, at the University of Rochester here in New York State. Um, and she specializes in FASD, they have a clinic there an FASD clinic and when I interviewed her I asked her like how did you learn about this like and she said well in medical school I read maybe a paragraph about this um you know so and she's a relatively young doctor so I just kind of always go in assuming they don't know I don't care what the profession is unless it's a Kenneth Jones or a Dr. Douglas Waite who's in New York City who's a specialist as well um you just have to assume they don't know, and it's going to be super hard to get a diagnosis. So um, with a diagnosis, it gives you something to work with. But as a parent or a caregiver, even if you don't have the diagnosis, but you've done the research and you know yourself, this is probably what we're dealing with, um, then you can educate yourself and learn and then be able to make accommodations and do the things to help your, your child be successful and advocate for them. But a diagnosis does make it a little bit easier, doesn't take away you know, the disability, but um, it helps get those supports that we need as caregivers and parents. So yeah, just crazy, crazy that you had to go from Dallas, Texas to San Diego, California to get a diagnosis. You know, know. it it really fires me up. I'm trying to stay home collected right now. (laughs) Me too. um, Yeah. It really fires me up. Wow. And I do every time I go into a doctor's office, I've created a little packet explaining what FASD is and the statistics of it. And all the best ways to treat yeah. it in different methods and different, whatever, all the things. Yeah. And I hand it to the doctor and I'm like, you need to know about this. Yeah. So um, I recommend doing that with. Yes. Any- we have to go in equipped. I've had to, you know, I do the same thing. And, you know, I've spoken with parents who, you know, literally their pediatrician will be like, yeah, that's not a thing. That's, you know, so it's very frustrating. Uh, and we have yeah. to we have to advocate and, and definitely educate everybody around our kids. And it's it's shouldn't be that way. But it but it is. And that's what we have to do. So, Laura, how old are the kids now? Um, Andrew just turned 12. Matthew's 11. And Hannah is nine. Nice, nice. So, what are like on on the day to day? What are some of the FASD symptoms that you see that you're dealing with during the day? And have you come up with any strategies for accommodations to kind of help? Like what works in your family with your kiddos? Yeah, so I, I, there's many many things all across the board that help that don't help that we still have no idea. Um, I think finding finding their triggers. Mm-hmm has been a real challenge for me because it doesn't seem as black and white as it does with my other kiddos. Um, all three of ours have very low IQs and have um, intellectual and developmental delay. And so it it's just really hard deciphering what, like what's trauma, what's the brain damage, what's low IQ, what's ADD, what's you haven't eaten, you haven't like, what what's happening here? And it feels like you're kind of Somebody throws something on you and you have no idea what's going on, you know? Um, so uh, just this morning was a huge meltdown from my son, Matthew, where we like had to try to get him to go back to his room because, and that sounds so nice and sweet, but it wasn't nice and sweet. He's like biting and kicking and and pinching and all the things um, because he was throwing things at the other kids because he slammed a brother's fingers in the window. So it's, it was just kind of like an escalating thing and he hadn't had his medicine and like Hadn't had breakfast yet, so it was kind of a just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Um, and we got him calmed down. It's always help, it always helps if we tag team. Like that happened, and I was like trying to get him back to his room. So he's like, "I hate you, I hate you," and it's like all the things, right? So then husband walks in, 
and he's able to walk in with fresh <laughs> freshness and be able to calm him down. Um, so that that's really helpful because mm-hmm. I feel like the, whoever the first escalating starts with yeah. never is really in a great place to then go try to calm right. him down because right. they need to be reassured and loved and snuggled and all the things. Um, I don't know if that answered that question. Yeah, it gives us a picture, a glimpse into it. Um, you know, do, now do you do you homeschool, public school, private school? Yeah, we've been so our three have gone to public school um, since day one, and then we homeschooled a lot of them. And right, and we just put a bunch in to school. So the breakdown is that we yeah. have three that were homeschooling, and the rest are in public school except the baby. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, and I, I've I've kind of been in the same place. We homeschooled forever. Our biological kids are home, were homeschooled, um, and then we got down to the youngest two um, with FASD and put them. Really felt led to put them into school because we had reached a point to where they both needed one on one, and I couldn't like one on one with both of them at the same table at the same time because you know if one breathed, the other one couldn't handle that. <laughs> It was like, and then running to services, running to speech and OT and PT. And we had one was doing vision therapy and all of those things. I was like, we're not even getting anything done in a day. So we put them in. We found out our our, our school district had a pretty good special education program. So they went in. One was fifth grade. I mean, if they were biologically older, um, but one was fifth grade in special ed and one was ninth grade. And that was going good for a few years until COVID. It was a combination of COVID and all of the changes brought on by that. And they became teenagers. And I was in that place of, wait, is this is this chaos? Is this is this because of COVID? Is this because they were, a, you know, trauma? Is this because of that FASD thing? Is it because they're teenagers and it's hormones? Like, what is going on? And it was kind of like the answer was yes all of those things. However, what's the one thing I really didn't know enough about, even though my boys got diagnosed very young, they got diagnosed by a developmental pediatrician. And then we were told, you know, oh, yeah, you might want to focus on life skills. Have a nice day. There were no, there was nothing. So, uh, you know, so we, you know, we were on that journey about, you know, learning about childhood trauma and Dr. Karen Purvis and the connected child and TBRI. So we were doing all of that. And that was working. But it became very clear once they were teenagers that, you know what, there's something, there's just something here that we're not getting. And it was the FASD. And I, that's when I took this deep dive into FASD. Um, and, and now I'm a facilitator of the FACETS neurobehavioral model because all I was learning, I'm like, every parent needs to know this, especially if you're an adoptive or foster parent. Um, every special education teacher and social worker and like doctor and like everybody needs to know this. Why, does, why don't people know this? So on this podcast, we talk about FASD a lot. It's not the only thing we talk about, but I often circle the conversation back around to it because it's so relevant, but parents and caregivers just don't know. Um, so I don't know. I think I went off on a tangent there too, Laura, but I think it's just that day in the life of recognizing our kids have this it's brain based so we're not going to be able to discipline it out of them or reward them into better behavior we have to understand the brain and understand our kids and then focus on you know what's best so in that time of i pulled my the younger one out of school to avoid a mental health crisis and now we're still homeschooling so he's considered 10th grade he's 17 um low iq um, you know, fetal alcohol syndrome. And right now that's the best thing that's working for him. Um, you know, I would rather not be homeschooling <laughs> at this point in life, but, you know, it's, it's, it's what we have to do to help him be successful and to set him up for, you know, to prepare him for his future better because school was just not working. He, no, he was no longer learning in the school environment. Um, so that that's been hard, but we do. That's what we have to do is make those accommodations and be aware um, and, and just every day try to figure it out, right? Yeah, that's a constant. Yeah. And I would love to say something really quick about what you're talking about with, you were talking about the TBRI. Um, that was something that we were trained in. We got a lot of training in that, which yeah. was great. And those were great skills and great things to learn for sure. But I think that the 
pitfall of just being taught that and not being taught about FASD is that you try all these methods and you're doing all these methods and you're doing what they say will make your child feel safe, fix the meltdowns, allow them to catch up, allow them to like live as typical individuals. I know that nobody is selling it as this fixes everything, but um, it feels very much like if this, then this. And when you don't get this, it's like, well, the only thing to say is like, I must be doing something wrong. I must be failing my child. I must not be doing it right. And so I would love to just say to any mama out there who, or father, um, who is just Mm -hmm. kind of in that rut of like, hey, we've been trying this and it hasn't been working and we don't know what to do to maybe look in a little bit to FASD um, because it is such a wide population of adoption and foster kiddos that, I mean, odds are that there's some of that going on. So yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, they do address it a little bit. I I remember doing, um, sitting in on one of the Empower to Connect conferences back in the day, Dr. Purvis was still alive and it was actually, she said, and I remember feeling this like, it was like an aha moment for me. And it was liberating even in a way when she said, because my boys got diagnosed pretty much right away after we adopted them. They were adopted internationally. They had the facial features, the behaviors, you know, and we knew in court records that the birth parents were alcoholic. So it wasn't hard for us to get a diagnosis. But it, that was all we got was a diagnosis and a have a nice day. But when she, when Dr. Purvis herself said, if you have a child who was prenatally exposed with, with, FAS, with an FASD, you have a child with brain damage. And I was like, wow. Because that to me was like, okay, okay. If I have that perspective, then that kind of changes how I approach this parenting thing because it's not me against my child's behavior. It's me and my child, you know, us together against this brain that's not working correctly. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's let's work together to help support, you know, and, and that's to me, it was just this liberating moment of, wait a minute, that just takes me off the hook. I don't have to. You know, for any of us parents who struggle with what other parents think about our parenting or about our children's behavior at church or at school or in the community or whatever, you know, it was like, wait a minute, I'm dealing with a child with a brain injury, you know, like not that it's a free pass or anything, but it's a new perspective, a whole new paradigm of, you know, how do we make this child, how do we help this child be successful because I'm not going to change the child. Right. So the environment and everything around has to be accommodated for this child like we would accommodate an individual in a wheelchair. Right. Everything, everything gets changed for them because we can see that disability. So they get parking spots and ramps and wheelchairs and, you know, special modified bathrooms and like all of the things. Right. We're not going to expect them in P.E. class to, you know, drop and give me 20 push ups or run track in so many minutes. Right. We all, we can look and know that they're not going to be able to do that. And we right away have to come up with another plan. But with FASD, it's an invisible disability. Nobody sees anything but the behaviors, which are the symptoms. So that was to me, like, like, I just felt like I'll just never forget that Dr. Purvis said that. So even though the Empower to Connect and TBRI stuff doesn't go deep into FASD, they touch on it. Um, and what they do teach the connection stuff, definitely, you know, all those things that, you know, making sure they're hydrated and they're fed and the, the mm-hmm. whole body thing, all of it, yes, but it's not the only thing. Because if you have a child who's been prenatally exposed, then there's another whole area that you really have to focus on as well. And that's where families just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Great conversation, Laura. I'm loving it. Loving it. So <laughs> so let's let's pivot for a second here. So 10 kids, 10 kids, three with an FASD. Um, I kind of sounds like what's the age range of your kids from youngest to oldest? Yeah, our oldest is 16 and our youngest is three. Okay, so 10 between three and 16. Um, so I can see why you said survival mode, right? That was <laughs> thing and but you did figure out a way to make it all work and now you're helping other moms um as well so tell us about mama systems how did that come about what is it yeah so in our process of trying to live i mean i 
say normal life with (laughs) air quotes, because it's not normal, but um, trying to live a more peaceful life and more intentional life with my people, I realized that we couldn't keep living in survival mode. We needed to create a plan. And so that plan and that striving to find something that worked for our family led me to nowhere. Like I got nowhere because nobody had anything that was fit for our children, like eight kids, three adopted special needs, renovating a house, all the appointments, all the, all the things all the time. And so um, I was like, I just got to figure this out myself. And so I created a system to help put things in place for our home that helped us live with intention and really stop living such a reactionary lifestyle and live one more on purpose with our people. And so after a few years of that, I was like, Hey, this is really amazing because we have all these kids and our home's really peaceful. Like we have our moments for sure. You have FASDers out there. We have our moments. You heard <laughs> me describe my mornings. Yes. But overall, I'm not doing it all. I'm not running myself ragged. We're able to have peace in our home. We have systems in place that help with that. And so now I get to coach other moms and help them do that in their homes and help them build unique systems for themselves and for their families. And kind of my heart slash vision around it by helping um special needs mamas or FASD mamas is I know that there's so many unpredictable things. And so instead of just adding that on top of a, a house, um, a life with no order in it, like you don't know what you're doing for dinner. You don't know um, the house is a mess. Who's going to clean it? Like there's dishes in the sink, all the things that need to get done on a daily basis in a typical home. And then you throw a child in that is throwing things at other children and you need to go deal with them. And you need like, you need to sit down and have these heart to heart connections. And I mean, that's so hard. So my heart and my thought is not that you would have a perfect home, but like, Hey, couldn't we get some of these things in place here so that you're not worried about all the other things of meal planning, of who's going to drive people places, who's like just all the logistics of your home. You're not worried about those and you can really focus on your people. Yeah. So, so you, I know you do coaching and online courses and you have the resources for special needs mamas. So kind of give us an example of what a system would be. I know I, I follow your social media. So I know you were, you, you talked about um, batching. Like, what is that? Like, how does, give us a system, an example, yeah, so, an example. Yeah. So batch working um, is when you do like asks all in one time chunk. And so a lot of people do this when they're working, like they'll respond to emails that first hour and then the next hour they'll work on something else. And then, so they're, they're just focused on one thing at a time so that they can be most productive with their time. And so I love that idea, even as it comes to managing a home, because we're all over the place all the time. Mm-hmm. So instead of thinking, okay, today I need to clean the house. I need to do the laundry. I need to pay bills. I need like that list just goes on and on. But if you have a day designated to each thing, And so you're just spending like 30 minutes to two hours, depending on what you're doing, dedicated to that one thing. So we have a laundry day in our house and we do all the laundry on one day and that's it. And I found that going from four kids and feeling like all I was doing was laundry, it just felt like it was constant because I was, we've got to switch out laundry. I've got to put in his laundry. I've got to fold the clothes. I've got to like all those things. Now I don't do that much. Like with all of our children. It's like, so it, that feels magical. And I'm like, why, why is not everybody doing this? Because it's so great. Um, kitchen prep stuff. I, we have a kitchen day. And so we prep all of our kitchen stuff on one day. So that way when dinner comes around, we can just throw it in and, and have it done. I have an office day where I pay all our bills and do all the things. So I just sit down at my desk with all the things and knock them out. So do you do it like every every Monday is laundry day, every Tuesday is bill paying day or paperwork day, whatever? You do it that way? I do. And the reason for that is because that lessens decision fatigue. If I already have that decision made of Monday, this is what I'm doing. I have my um, my little batching for my work right here. And so yeah. I know that Monday I'm going to be working on FASD clinic stuff. And so the rest of the days, I'm like, I'm not going to worry about that because I know that on Monday I'm going to focus on that. I know I'm going to get it done that day. I have a plan for it. And so it doesn't feel overwhelming, you know? Wow. Yeah. I love that because I'm I'm in this space right now where I have to homeschool my son who's 17 and I run a nonprofit. And when my boys, which we've, we had the nonprofit and I was doing the podcast and whatnot 
when we were homeschooling, but it was at a much smaller scale. Then when they went into school, it seemed like the Lord just breathed on this ministry and it went poof. And it was like, wow, this is wonderful timing because now I have the time. And then all of a sudden, you know, 2020 happens and it's like, now I have a kid back home and I'm homeschooling and I wasn't planning on doing that. And now I'm super busy with my nonprofit and all of the things that I'm doing. And now I feel like I'm not getting anything done because I only have little minutes of time. Like I have a little tiny and I feel like I feel like I need to take a look at the batching and having a, a day for stuff or maybe just a one office day where I don't homeschool. Um, because now now the way my life works is I come down in the morning, I say down because my office is downstairs, and I, I spend about an hour before I have to start doing school with my son. I'll spend an hour doing the emails, doing the things I need to do. Then I have to go back upstairs and go, you know, we, we do school. He goes to the local high school for ninth period every day for a skills class. I do have somebody helping me with transportation for that. So I try to get some stuff done while he's gone, but then, you know, in the afternoon, I really need to work, but then at the same time, he's not self-guided. He, even though he's 17, he needs one-on-one. -on -one. So he's, I have to have eyes on him and know what's going on. So I'm not very productive. And then it's like, oh, dinner time. Now I have to do the dinner thing. Then it's like, you know, seven o'clock at night. And I'm telling my husband, I have to go back to my office because I got like nothing done again. So, and even Saturday, this past Saturday, I spent, we were going to, we had plans to do something. And I said, I, I, I couldn't even sleep the night before. I said, I just needed to go to my, I have so much work to do and deadlines. I need to just work. So I spent all of Saturday in my office um, because I, because then when daddy's home, then he's on duty, you know, and then I don't have to have to worry about it. So it's crazy and it's not sustainable. So I love, I love the idea of batching. That may be something I need to be focusing on. It is really great because you can sit down and really get in the zones. Yeah. Like episodes if you record them all back to back and then you can edit them all back to back and then get yeah. them out all back yeah. to back. Yeah. So. Right right now I'm just kind of like scheduling it. I mean I have a I have like a I have a schedule that I try to adhere to so that I'm not like going crazy every day. But um, you know, but still it's it's kind of like the work and life, you know, family mix that I'm I'm like just kind of constantly like juggling the plates and nothing's getting done. And that's, it's not a good feeling at all. So I love the idea of what you're doing. So how can our listeners learn more about Mama Systems? Yeah, um, you can find me at mamasystems.net. And then I've shared a link with you of just FASD links just for adoptive mamas. Um, with just specific things, different tools, freebies, whatever for them, if they want to check that out. Wonderful. And you have social media. You have a, I know you have a mama system. I do. I'm sorry. Media. Yes. At mama systems. And then also FASD mama. Oh, I didn't even realize just that was you. FASD mama. Getting that up and running. Wow. I'm not the best at social media. It really stresses me out. Yeah. So trying really hard. Yeah. Social media is, is one of those things that can like take over your life. So we finally got a few years ago, I have a, a girl who's dedicated who does all of our, so Justice for Orphans, JFO is our ministry. She does all of the social media for that. So I share it on my own, you know, on my own profile page, but um, the, all of the, the graphics and the beautiful stuff to promote the website or the podcast episodes and our trainings and all of that. I have somebody else who does that and post it for us. And all I have to do is share it. So that's very helpful because that, that was, amazing. I was not doing, I was not doing well with that. And then I also, I have a daughter who's like 26 and she said, mom. <laughs> so I, we actually got a younger person to do it because they understand social media. Um, you know, so I always laugh because my daughter was like, mom, Facebook is for old ladies. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but. I think I am that, you know, but to reach, you know, more people, you have to be more places. So anyway, we have a young person handling the social media who understands it. So, um, so that, yeah. that's cool. So anyway, I digress. Um, we'll include links to Mama Systems um, in the show notes so that our listeners can easily find you. But as we wrap up, Laura, is there um, anything on your heart that you can share with the parents who are listening? We have mostly mama listeners, but you know, we do have some dads, but um, word of encouragement, um, anything on your heart that you'd like to share? Yeah. Um, and, and this may, I feel like people say this a lot. 
<laughs> I don't know how, how people take it, but I, I mean this in the sincerest way possible that you're doing a good job. Like if, if you're a mom out there who has difficult kids, it's so easy to think I'm doing something wrong. This has to be me. Like, why don't, even with my, even being triggered, I'm like, why am I getting so angry about this? I know exactly why they're doing what they're doing. Like they don't, nothing's connecting up here. And I would still um, just kind of shame myself for that. And so I want to encourage mamas out there that you're doing a good job and you're doing the best you can. And it's okay to ask for help if you need help. Um, This just takes a village and you need a village around you. Yeah, I hear you because I know you said you had shared when we chatted previously that you've got help coming into your home, helping with your kiddos. Is that right? Yes. So each of them in Texas, there's a great Medicaid waiver program. So they have Medicaid because they were adopted out of foster care um, as a sibling group. And there's a great Medicaid waiver program that allows for FASD to be like the other health impairment or whatever for this program. And it allows us to have people come into our home and help take our kids out into the community. And so each of them gets about 40 hours a week of help. And I'm so resistant for anybody. People will often say things like, oh, you're super mom. And I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, not at all. I just know my limits. And I know that I need to ask for help. And I think that's really, really important because we think that we should be able to do it all and we can't. Yeah. And that's really it varies state by state, you know, and I know our listeners are from yes. all, all over the place, but very state by state. I'm in the process of actually trying to set up something like that for my 17 year old son who low IQ, um, FAS. Um, and right now he just I'm his preferred support person, but he needs more in his life than just me because his dad and I won't always be here and he will always need support. So um, we're working on that. So I know that varies by state. That's I'm just a little bit envious that you get 40 hours a week per kid. That's I mean, I love it that you do it. I'm like, dang, how can I how can I get that? But I do have, um, you know, I have a girl that come and, comes and cleans my house once a week because I cannot do awesome. all that I do and clean my house. Like mm-hmm. we do, I do the laundry, you know, we, you know, I scrub a toilet on occasion, um, you know, wash the dishes and prepare the meals. But I have somebody who, who, you know, comes in and does all of the vacuuming and the mopping and cleans two bathrooms and, and um, dusts for me, that kind of thing. Uh, and then we also have somebody, cause my son, like I mentioned, goes to our local high school five days a week for one class period. So he's like there for like literally maybe an hour. And I was like, he needs this. I will go insane if I have to be the one because then I'll get nothing done. But I yeah. have three days a week. I have somebody who actually takes him down there, runs errands for me, picks him up and brings him back home. And, you know, that's a huge blessing. So you do. We, we have to find creative ways to get help and to help support because we, we need that support. This is not a, a journey that we really can navigate completely on our own. It's not good for us and it's not good for our kids overall. Yeah. So it, it is hard. We need to cut ourselves some slack. We are doing a good job because this is like the hardest job on the planet, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do need help. So um, great, yeah. great advice, Laura. I appreciate that. And um, thank you so much for sharing your story and for all that you're doing there in Dallas for for um, the families that you're working with. And of course, with Mama Systems, love everything you're doing to support moms and parents on this journey. So thank you so much for being with you're us so today. Welcome. You're so welcome. And if you're a mama out there who feels like you need the support and you just don't know where to get it, that's that's my expertise. I'm really good at being creative and finding ways. And so I'd love to chat with you and help you figure out some things to get some some village people in place for you. Yes, that would be great. We'll make sure that links to your website are in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. I could just chat with Laura all day long. Um, I hope that you got a lot out of this episode. Thank you for listening. Um, You know, we really want you to feel encouraged and better equipped for your parenting journey. Um, So I hope you enjoyed this episode. And next week, I have another special guest, a returning guest, my soul sister, Natalie Vecchione of FASD Hope. Um, If you follow Natalie, you may have noticed she's kind of gone off the grid, so to speak. Um, She stopped putting out new episodes of FASD Hope, really focusing on her family and some things going on there. 
but she continues to do the Hope for the FASD Journey support group with me. Um, so we want to get you all caught up on what's going on. And, you know, we, we she's been off the grid, but I found her. I know where she is. And she's going to join us on our next episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast. She will update us. Um, and, of course, as always, I am sure she will offer us some hope. So be sure to catch our episode next week. Uh, and for help along the way, be sure to check out our website for the resources that we've mentioned for foster adoptive and kinship caregivers. We have the Hope for the FASD Journey virtual support community. Uh, also, our uh, introductions to FASD, I offer those lunch and learns. Um, and I have several different versions of the deep dives, uh, the workshops where I teach using the FACETS neurobehavioral model. Um, so if you want to sign up for a one that we have on the calendar already, or maybe you're thinking, I would really like that training with my group, my group of parents or my group of social workers or my kid's school or, or, or wherever, my church. Maybe there's a church. Maybe your church has lots of foster and adoptive parents in it, um, lots of foster and adopted kids. And you know, you're finding that maybe the church leadership and teach Sunday school teachers and youth group leaders and people just don't know about this and they should. So I would love to bring training on FASD to you and your group. Um, I can do it virtually. So I can do schedule online workshops. I can also come to you and do in-person workshops. And I can do anything from that one hour introduction to a three hour, a little bit deeper, all the way to uh, in 18 now, I have 18 hours worth of uh, material that I can teach. And oftentimes we break that up into uh, three days, you know, three six hour sessions um, and anything in between I can do. So if that's something that you're looking for, um, please reach out to me through our website, justicefororphansny.org. That's where you'll find out information on upcoming trainings, but also if you want to get one scheduled, um, I would love to talk to you about getting that on the calendar. Um, so just go to our website and check that out. Also, I always like to give a shout out to some of our business sponsors who help us do what we do. Tri-Nuclear Corporation, Bishop Bowdry Construction, National Bank of Cooksaki, and Cullman Insurance Agency. These are all businesses in the capital region of upstate New York. They care about kids and families in crisis, and they help us do what we do. So we thank them. And I thank you for being with us today. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure if you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review, let your friends know about this podcast. Be sure to find and follow Justice for Orphans on social media. Um, you can also find and follow me, Sandra Flack, as well. Uh, we have a great Instagram and Facebook presence, uh, LinkedIn, all the good things. So again, grateful that you spent your valuable time with us today. And I'm just thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.